0: Morning, you ready? I'm ready. Let's go. (laughs) Had some coffee, fruit snacks, ready to go. Let's get started. Today, the title of the message is Endure or Enjoy. And the question for us this morning is this question. Are you enduring your life... Or are you enjoying your life? It it really is a choice. I think the first Bible passage that I probably memorized was Psalm 118, verse 24. It's, It's one of my favorites. It's always been one of my favorites. And this is what the psalmist said. This is the day that the Lord has made. Today, this day, the day that we're enjoying in the present moment, God made this day. When you got up this morning, God made it. God put the sun in the sky and the earth beneath our feet and put breath in your lungs. This day is God's day, has made this day. Not yesterday and not tomorrow, the focus of God's energy is on this day that we're enjoying right now. And the psalmist adds this wonderful expression of praise and thanksgiving for what he can see and the world around him. He looks at the world and sees a good and beautiful place and said, in response to the day and what God has done, let us rejoice and let us be glad in it. Now, I want you to notice what he does not say. He does not say, this is the day that the Lord has made. I'm going to whine and complain about it. (laughs) He didn't say, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us endure and complain about it. He says, this day is the one that God has made, and so I'm going to enjoy what God has put before me. Maybe you've had this experience yourself. How many of you here have ever been to the happiest place on earth, Disney World? Raise your hand. Almost everybody. It's a rite of passage for some people. In my home, uh, we have some family pictures in the hallway and we have a a photo of our daughter when she was eight and our family's been taking a picture in front of the castle. Then we have a, a photo of my son and family standing in front of the castle. I'll never forget when we went with my son, same experience with my daughter you know, we stayed in one of the theme park hotels, so it's all right there. It's very convenient. And on that first day, everybody gets on the bus, and all the people have gone on the bus, the families and individuals, and it's filled with children. There's so much excitement, and you can't wait. You, you've waited your whole life to go to Disney World. And you get on the bus, and then you get to the park. Great beginning. But I'll never forget that first night when we got on the bus. It didn't look like we'd been to the happiest place on earth. It looked like we'd been to the grumpiest place on earth. <laughs> I looked around and I saw kids that were tired, and I saw a lot of dads, a lot of moms, and you could tell what began as enjoying the day, they were now enduring the day. Now, now I don't want to be cynical in any way, I'm not, it's a happy place. But it begins to change your perspective because no one imagines that you're going to stand in line for two hours to ride a ride that lasts five minutes on an elephant. (laughs) No one imagines that when you stand up and you go to lunch and your kids are hungry, that you're going to have to take out a small loan to buy chicken nuggets. (laughs) I remember on the fourth day being at Disney World and we were exhausted And enduring it. And my son said, Dad, Dad, do we have to go to the park today? Can't we just stay in the pool? No, we're going to the park. (laughs) And I remember thinking on the bus ride home that day, at the end of the fourth day, thinking, gosh, it probably would have been cheaper and more enjoyable to just drive to Bowling Green and stay at the Holiday Inn and swim at the pool. Are you enduring your life or are you enjoying it? And by life, you know what I mean, I mean family, marriage, job, retirement, friendships. A lot of people are enduring their relationships and their marriages. A lot of people endure their jobs. How many people, you just show up because you have to show up, and you're just waiting for it to be over so you can go home? How how many of you, and and I've experienced this in my family, hopefully not in your family, but it's probably more true than not, have ever been to that family event, you know, 4th of July, Thanksgiving, Christmas, uh, some special birthday, something like that. You haven't seen all these members of your family for more than a year. And after you've been there for 10 or 15 minutes, you wonder, why do I even really like these? I don't even like these people. <laughs> you, you know, I'm being overly hard. But what I mean is, you know, you're there like 30, 40 minutes. You've already sort of checked in with everybody. And then you're sort of, well, when is the right time to leave? You're enduring it. You're not enjoying it. You see, the difference between enduring life and enjoying life is you know that you're enduring life when you're just showing up, when you're counting the hours, you're waiting for the time to pass just so that you can get on to something else, and you're trying to hold on, you're just trying to hold on until something changes or something better arrives. And it's described as exhaustion, the experience of boredom. Depression or disappointment. I think that one of the reasons why we sometimes endure life instead of enjoy it is because we believe this lie. It, it's what I call uh, the lie of when. You know what I mean? I'll be happy when. I'll be happy when I graduate from college. I'll be happy when I get my dream job. I'll be happy when I'm married. Well, I'll be happy when my divorce is final. I'll be happy when we have kids. I'll be happy when the kids are grown. I'll be happy when I get the new job. I'll be happy when I'm able to retire. I'll be happy when we finally get to go on our vacation. Let me ask you, what is your win that you're waiting on? What is your win? Or let's put it the other way, I can't be happy when. I can't be happy when I'm single. I can't be happy when we don't have kids. I can't be happy when I have this boss, can't be happy when I'm in this job. I can't be happy when I finally have realized that I will never play shortstop for the New York Yankees. I can't be happy when I'm going through this hard spot in my life, when I'm going through this medical situation. I can't be happy. For a lot of people, when my best years are behind me. What is the wind that's blocking you? The wind that's blocking you, that's keeping you? Here's the truth about life. The truth is, for a lot of people, their life is never really lived. It's always out there in front of us. Always we're waiting for life to arrive but the problem is when we're waiting for life to arrive it never fully arrives because when it arrives we don't know that it's here because we're waiting on when and the problem is while we're waiting for it to arrive we snap our fingers and it's gone 10 years has passed There's this author, and you will find it in the Old Testament, and it's in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, The book of Ecclesiastes is an amazingly interesting book. You wonder how did such an interesting book get placed in Scripture? It's so honest about life and the questions of life. And he searches for the meaning of life, and ultimately he comes down to this is what life is all about. And he writes, he says, Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. Drink wine with a robust heart. He said, seize it, take opportunity of it, live it in the moment. Oh, yes, he says, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and, and scarves. Relish your life with your spouse you love and do it each and every day of your precious life because your life is God's gift. And it's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. So make the most of each day. Make the most of your life. Whatever turns up in life, whether good or bad, grab it and do it and do it with all your heart. Here's the warning. This is the part where you go, oh, bummer. He says, this is your last and only chance at it. For there's neither work to do nor thoughts to think. Let me read this again. I want you to hear this. There's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead. Because once your life is over, it is over. In the company of the dead, in this cheerful thought, where you're most certainly headed. That's why Paul wrote these words in 1 Timothy 6, 17. All of chapter 6 is about the, uh, the false things that we chase in life, the things that we think are going to give us meaning and happiness in life, but fall short, overpromise, and underdeliver. And he's talking here about riches and the fleeting, fleeting happiness that comes with wealth. And he says, Don't be arrogant and put your hope in wealth, put your hope in God, put your hope in God, because everything in life is uncertain. But he says, God, listen to what he says here. God has given us richly everything that we need for our enjoyment. So this is what I've discovered. I I am 54 years old. I turn 55 in a few months. I'm older than some of you and younger than some of you. But I've lived long enough and seen enough and experienced enough to come up with some discoveries about enjoying and enduring. And this is the first thing I've learned. This is, some, this is the discovery of a 50-year-old. Is that if I'm not enjoying life right now, I'm not going to enjoy it when. And what I've discovered is I, if I haven't found the ability to enjoy my life today, I'm not going to enjoy it tomorrow either. Because if I'm waiting on life to arrive, it's never going to arrive. I either find it now or I don't find it at all. And if I haven't found the capacity to enjoy it in the moment, whatever I'm going through, I'll never find it. I'll never know it, never experience it. Why? Because there will always in our life be flowers and there will always be weeds at the same moment. There will always be some weeds and there will always be some flowers. What that means in every life, there will always be junk, And there will always be treasures. There will always be good things and bad things. Life is neither all this or all that. It's a mixture of all of it. Life is a mixture of the good and the bad. And if you don't find life in it, you'll never find it. Because there's never going to be a day when wind comes. Wind never comes. I think about your marriage and your health for a minute. Your marriage and your health... And your finances may be in perfect order, but you hate your job. Or maybe your job is going great and your kids are doing well in school, but your marriage is kind of lonely and in a rut. Or perhaps your family life is wonderful, but you're disappointed with your circle of friends, with your weight, your faith, or the condition of your home. You will always in your life have something to complain about. But you will always have something in your life to celebrate and to enjoy and to rejoice about. Every life. When you're standing on the top of the mountain, all you got to do is look around and see there are hardships. And when you're down in the valley, all you got to do is look around and say, I'm going through a hard time, but you can still see some beauty because there's beauty on the top of the mountain. There's also hardship. There's also beauty and hardship down in the valley where we live, which is why I make my third discovery. My third discovery is, is that we either make ourselves happy or we make ourselves miserable. Who makes us happy? Who makes us miserable? We do. I do. You don't make me miserable. My family doesn't make me miserable. I make me miserable. And here's the interesting thing I've learned about this. And and this is just the truth. We either make ourselves happy or we make ourselves miserable. And guess what? The amount of work is the same. but you have the power of choice. You get to choose. You get to choose whether it's misery or it's happiness. Every day that you wake up on the day that the Lord has made, you get to choose whether you get to rejoice in it and be glad in it or endure it or whine about it and complain about it. You know, you didn't choose your parents. You didn't choose the place you were born. You didn't choose your gender, and you didn't choose your race. You didn't choose the economic circumstances of your family. But you do get to choose what you do with your life and what you make of where you are. Because happiness itself is not something that arrives by accident, but that happiness is something that arises and arrives by our choice, the choices that we make. Because my fourth discovery is is that when you focus on the good, when you focus on the good, you not only begin to notice more good, but you begin to create more good. Because when you begin to see it, it brings more of it. It's the same thing with what's negative and what's wrong and what's broken in the world. If you focus on what's broken and wrong in the world, you're going to create more of it. In the world, there is good and evil and oppression and horror and sickness and suffering. And if you focus all your energy that that's the way the world is, we're just going to get more and more and more of it, as opposed to realize that there are more good people in the world than there are bad people. There's more love in the world than there is hate. And we lean into that and we focus on that. We'll create more of it. But when you're living in hate, and you're living in fear, and you're living in worry, you're living in anxiety, and that's where you think about it's hard to live differently. If you're holding on to unforgiveness, if you're holding on to bitterness, if you're still punishing your parents for what they did for you with your kids, if you're still living in fear from your past, you can't embrace your future until you begin to focus on something inside of you to begin to to reformulate you on the inside. As you begin to focus on that good and life, you grow life, you don't grow life by continually focusing on what's broken. You focus on the opportunities. That's why Paul wrote, from prison mind you. Finally, brothers and sisters, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything you're excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Jesus gives us a promise in John 10.10. He says, there are things in our life that will steal and kill and destroy and end our lives. But he, the life giver, has come to show us what abundant life looks like. Abundant life, joy. He does not dismiss your circumstance or your pain or your loss, but he offers you abundance. I want to ask you do you believe that's true for you? Do you really? here's the secrets this is what i've I, this is what i've learned to do with what we're talking about the secret to enjoying life more how, so how do you go from enduring to enjoying the first thing is sometimes you just got to pause you just got to stop and you need to go okay god this is this is not working for me and god's word to you would be just be still stop grinding and pause for a minute and think what do i owe my life to be about Do you want to know why I call the Boston Marathon the Death March from Hell? (laughs) The reason I call it the Death March from Hell is because I'd run seven marathons prior to the Boston Marathon and in every one of those marathons with the exception of one, the last six miles of the race were enjoyable. I know it's hard to imagine, but when you train properly, when you run a marathon, as the race goes on, you get strong because you learn about pacing and it's all about fitness. And so the last six miles, you sprint to the finish, to the cheers, to the joys. And, I mean, it's a happy moment, you know. You're crossing the finish line. You've done something you never thought you could do. I mean, I just feel it in my, my, my body right now as, as I think about the joy of that experience. You cross the finish line and you, you're just all spent and it's joyful. And you, and you know what you can eat after you've run like 40,000 calories out of your body? I mean, you can eat 10 cheeseburgers. I mean, it's awesome. (laughs) My coach, though, told me, he said, between your 7th and your 8th marathon, you better take a break. You better take about a month off and then start your training. He said, I know that you're not wired that way, but you need to. Because, he said, you're running on legs that got 7,000 miles on them. He said, you need to rest. Well, I just didn't listen to him because I'm not like everybody else. I mean... I'm different. And so I just trained all the way through cross-country season with my son ran doubles in the mornings and the afternoons and started my training tired. And by the middle of my Boston training, in the middle of December, I was exhausted and spent and burnt. I had tired legs. By the time I got to the Boston Marathon, I'd peaked about a year earlier, and so the last six miles was the death march. I'm running to the finish. Well, I was walking and limping to the finish for the last six miles. I had my name on my arm, and everybody was yelling, Go, Dave, go. And I go, Quit mocking me. <laughs> Sometimes you just got to pause. The second thing is you got to Rewire. You, you think negative thoughts, you, you're not thinking positively, you're not focusing on good, you're focusing on bad. If, if, if you're having trouble enjoying your life, you got to rewire the way you think because it's your thinking that's faulty. That's why Paul says that the secret to transformation is life is the renewal of our minds. You got to rewire your brain. You want to know how to rewire your brain? Read God's Word. You want to rewire your brain? Read all the red letters in your Bible that Jesus spoke. The abundant life giver. The third is savor your life. Enjoy it. You know, you know what? i got to tell you, I've become wonderfully, obsessively, compulsively disordered. Sort of. What I mean by that is, is, is I've gotten older. I don't like clutter and and i don't like disorganization and so i tend to want to order everything and i'm so achievement oriented that if i go to bed and feel like i've done something that day i just can't rest or relax and so it's made it so for instance i can't eat breakfast if the bed's not made can't eat breakfast if there's dishes in the sink can't write a sermon if there's stuff on my desk i'm just sort of this very organized disciplined person so my wife says to me, she says, let's go get some ice cream with our granddaughter. I can't because I've got to get up at 4.30 in the morning, I've got to run, it erect wreck my run. And, and that's just incredibly stupid. Because you're not, I'm speaking, you're not enjoying your life. So I've decided to start living a more hell yes kind of life. And what I mean by that is, is so my wife says, hey, Addy's here. Want to go get some ice cream? Well, hell yeah, let's go. <laughs> this is just enjoying it. Youth minister says, let's go get a beer and pretzel. Hell yeah. <laughs> Pokemon Go, heck yeah. <laughs> the fourth is, is just, and this is, I think this is the really critical part of the whole piece is your life has to be connected to something bigger than yourself. And when you realize that God has made the world and and it belongs to God, you want to be a part of what God is doing. And for life to become enjoyable, it, it doesn't grind out anymore when you begin to realize that my life is connected to a grand thing that God's doing in the world. And I get to participate in the redemptive history of the universe but yes, the world is filled with suffering and oppression and evil and racism and all those kinds of isms. But I get to be a part of doing something about it. And you don't have to do everything before you do anything. Just, just find something to do. You don't have to be Mother Teresa. You don't have to be Martin Luther King Jr. to make a difference. Just make a difference where you are. And when you begin to realize, hey, my life is not over. I got life in front of me. It may not be as much as what I have behind me, but I got the ability to do something about what's here now. And you'll begin to say, you know, God, what is it you want me to do? And just start doing something. And you feel that what you're doing is bringing value. Hey, I'm not just making bricks. I'm building a cathedral. When you do that, life just is better. Great African-American preacher, mentor to Martin Luther King Jr., Howard Thurman said, don't ask what the world needs, ask what you need to come alive and go do it because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And Jesus Christ gives us this invitation. Here's his invitation to us this morning. He spoke to people in a world who were suffering and struggling and life was harsh and hard and cruel. He was talking to dead people, religious people. The religion of the day added to the burdens of life, but he brought a fresh perspective about what is possible. He said the kingdom of God is now. Life is now, not later. And he said this in John 5, 25. It's urgent that you get this right. Don't miss it. The time has arrived, I mean right now, when dead men and women will hear the voice of the Son of God and hearing will come alive.